Welcome to the Navigating Design and Manufacturing Podcast, powered by AirMed Medical Devices. Listen as host Justin Starbird talks to experts from AirMed about topics relating to design, engineering, manufacturing, assembly, and packaging of medical devices. Air is the Norse goddess of healing and is commonly associated with medical skill. She was regarded as a forge goddess who helped by creating useful and artistic objects instead of weapons. Many who suffered from sickness would climb the mountain on which she resided, and when they returned, they came back healed of all ailments affecting them. Air Med harnesses this spirit of creativity and artistry and their expertise to integrate with the development of devices designed to improve patients' lives. Air Med's diverse experience and knowledge enables the development and manufacturing of advanced medical devices across many markets. You're listening to the Navigating Design and Manufacturing Podcast. Welcome back to Navigating Design and Manufacturing, a podcast powered by AirMed. My name is Justin Starbird, and today I'm pretty excited because after a little bit of a uh, of a break, I get to welcome in President, Chief Bottle Washer and Line Cook, and new bartender as well, Rick Curtis from AirMed, and Tanner Teasdale, Automation Engineer. Welcome to the podcast, guys. Thank Thanks. you. Thanks for having us. Hey, really excited to uh, to have you each on, um, Rick. It sounds like uh, you know we're doing a lot of um, in person things now with the group as well. So it's great to hear that um, we're uh, celebrating uh, our endeavors uh, together again. We're, we're looking forward to it. We're having a good time, giving uh, folks the opportunity to see all of our depth and our capabilities and our. Um, experience that we've got here at Aramed. Well, today is kind of cool too, because we're, um, we're kind of starting off a three-part series in and around automation. So, you know, Tanner, so great to, to have you um, on, the, on the show. Tell us a little bit about your, your role at Aramed and, and what is an automation engineer? Sure. So um, my role here at Aramed is to design, implement, um, upkeep, integrate all things industrial automation. So whether it be a simple press to a full, fully built robotics cell, uh, programming, troubleshooting, et cetera, I take care of uh, a good portion of it here with uh, quite a bit of help from the team as well. That's great. Uh, well, you know, <clears throat> we were talking offline uh, a little bit about automation and, you know, you guys get customers that come to you often or prospective uh, clients, partners that come to you and say, hey, when is automation needed or when when is automation most efficient? Uh, what kind of pushes uh, a company to move towards automation uh, from your experience? You know, the big thing I've, I've seen is production time. Um, how fast can we produce these parts? Because we're in the middle of the e-commerce um, environment and now more than ever, our customers want their products as quick as possible. So automation can be key to fast turnaround times. So if we need to get something in and back out the door in a day or two, automation is a good way to, to approach that. Um, so I, I think that's the biggest point is just how quick we can make these parts. You think uh, consumer behavior drives the the business expectations? Are you talking business to business uh, transactions too? Yeah, I think both ends of the spectrum. Yeah. Um, is it more than cost? 
you know, what, what else drives automation? Yes, more than cost. Um, so machines are essentially perfect. Um, what makes them flawed is the way that we build and program them. So quality increases that we see from automated equipment is drastically increased, um, assuming that the, the machine has been built and programmed correctly. Um, we get more consistent and more predictable production and performance out of machinery than we would having, you know, an operator on it for eight hours and then switch to a different operator that might do the process a little bit in a, in a different manner. Mm -hmm. and, so and the, the other two things it really does for us too is it helps us to, to manage through kind of um, peak demands from, from customers um, where we see big spikes in demand. Um, it, it'll help us run, you know, uh, potentially like through even weekends and things like that um, in a more efficient manner um, when, when they see big spikes in the demand of, of their products. Um, but it also helps us to create an environment that's safer for our employees when we're able to remove some of the real repetitive um, uh, motions that can lead to repetitive injuries over time. So it, it kind of does a couple of different things there that's helpful. So where does labor actually fit in uh, when you're, you know, working with a client or a customer to decide if automation is the best strategy? Um, so that's a, a topic or a question that gets brought up to me quite a bit, being an automation engineer. Um, our goal is to never build machines to take human jobs. That's never the goal. Um, so really what we're doing is by creating machinery that does automated tasks like Rick said, more repetitive or less ergonomic tasks, we're able to use our operators or our skilled workforce to perform other uh, tasks around the facility that, yes, more attention to detail. Yep. Thank you. Uh, and so what kind of tasks are we talking about? Like when you, when you say, you know, we don't want uh, machines to take, you know, human jobs, um, but it basically redeploys them elsewhere. What kind of tasks are you talking about? Um, I guess some of the, the positions that we would like to put or maintain humans on is quality inspection. You know, there's things that industrial vision systems are just not capable of picking up yet, whereas a human can tell if, if, if a part is defective or not. So that's that's a big one. Okay, and what about some of the repetitive tasks? What are some of those things that you're thinking about that, you know, that uh, to Rick's point, um, you know, potentially put a, a, you know, somebody at risk uh, for injury on the job? What are some of those things? What does that look like? Uh, we have several processes that require an overmold. So we place a, a component inside of a molding machine and then fire material around it to create an overmold. Um, some of these are precision fit devices and they have to be pressed very hard into the mold before going into that overmold shot. And the ergonomics of getting inside of a molding machine and pushing apart against uh, what we call the B side of the mold, it's, it's uncomfortable, it strains the back quite a bit. Yeah. So if we can have a machine do an operation like that, that eliminates you know all the the potential for injury to employees. 
Absolutely. So when you think of, you know, difficult tasks like that, you know, having to, you know, bend or be part of, you know, previously, uh, you'd, you'd rely on, like you were saying before, you know, eight hours of, of one particular person doing it one way, and then a slightly, um, you know, different way on the next shift. How does that uh, impact quality by implementing those types of automated tasks? Sure. Well, again, the, the machinery, it's extremely repeatable. You know, these things are, they do the exact same thing over and over and over. So, so long as they're programmed and set up to do the job the way that we expect them to and the way our customer requires of the product, it's going to be the same thing time and time again. Yeah. Now, what kind of, um, you know, projects are, you know, do you currently automate or, or projects that have been completed that you can talk about, you know, that, that we might recognize either on the shelf or in use uh, within another, another product? Do, you have a, do either of you, Rick, maybe have a, have a good example of, of uh, you know, the types of, of products that, you, um, that you've built this automation for that we would recognize? Sure. We, we've got some programs that uh, we run where we're doing um, simpler, very repetitive tasks like um, removing gates or runners from parts, um, especially in multi-cavity tools where there might be multiple um, gates or runners that are being trimmed at the same time as the robot's taking the parts off the press. Um, that all helps to remove labor and to remove that um, that clipping motion that they, especially if it's a difficult material to clip or to trim um, that that saves on uh, on the operators um, then we also have you know more customized examples um, um, different things that we do here we've got different types of reaming systems where we're, we're, we're reaming the center of um, parts uh, to expose material um, that is uh, needed to help the, the part function properly. Um, we have uh, an application where we put on an anti-fog uh, coating onto the lens of a part um, and do that kind of in a, in a clean room incubated environment that the, that the robot is in. Um, I don't know, Tanner, if there's any others that you can... So th those are a couple of examples. What was that? Sorry, I just wanted to Rick know. I think you hit them all pretty well, aside from the few that I'm saving for further questions. Yeah. So, you know, as you think about those tasks that are, you know, performed by automation and, you know, that does remove labor, you know, how quickly can a company or a client perspective, a partner of yours, expect to get a return on investment return on investment and, and you know um, what does that look like you know once they have achieved their return on investment how how quickly does that uh, compound uh, so that they you know are are profitable more quickly so there's a lot of ifs in that um, it really depends on the complexity of the machinery how much we have to invest into said equipment, how many parts we're going to produce, um, just the overall volume that we see coming through our facility that that equipment is going to be handling. So it's tough to formulate an answer on that one. 
In some instances, if the automation is dedicated to the customer, um, we, we generally have them make the investment into it. But if it's a situation where we can utilize the equipment across um, other applications for other customers, um, we uh, will either participate or make the investment in those types of situations. And when we uh, make those types of investments, we typically see a return on that labor savings in about six to 12 months. So it's pretty quick. Yeah. Um, it's pretty immediate. It depends upon really it's driven um, largely by, you know, the volume of what's going through the equipment. And so for a program that runs enough volume, um, that, that six to 12 month time frame is, is pretty realistic. Well, so that brings me to my next question, which is really, um, you know, when you, when you're thinking of that volume, when you're thinking of, uh, the projects that you have in place, uh, what's required to actually sustain that level of output? I, I got to believe that, you know, you're putting in, you know, in some cases, uh, hundreds of thousands in other cases, millions of dollars into, uh, you know, investment to, to get this up and going, then you've got to, you know, retrain your, your workforce, um, to, you know, operate a, you know, a new piece of equipment. Uh, you know, you made a, a couple of really good points there about, um, how, you know, when you, an investment is made and, um, how quick the return on investment uh, can be realized, how does that, uh, affect the sustainability of that automation? So, uh, you know, what's the volume of, um, you know, I guess parts or the, the orders that need to be realized in order for you to sustain the, you know, investment in automation on a specific line, you know, for any period of time. Yeah, typically what we need to see is that the equipment's being utilized about 30 to 40% of the time um, during that, that six month or that 12 month time frame to, to get the payback in that in that period, um, so that that's the amount of labor that's essentially being removed from the from the cost of the part um, and the and the savings that's uh, experienced with the automation. So that's that's generally the rule of thumb. So um, if even either the volume of the program is bigger, so that it's running more than thirty to forty percent of the time, or we have multiple programs that we're using it for um, where then the utilization of that equipment is greater than 30 to 40% of the time. Um, then, then we see the, the payback on that, you know, faster. Yep. So how does that affect maybe time to market as well? Or the, what's the impact of that automation on time to product, you know, time of production? So I think building a, a machine as per customer specification to process their part, it, it can lightly increase the, the time to market. Um, but on the flip side, things are getting more seamless for integration. So I guess we can look back a few years. If you wanted a robot to talk to a custom built machine, we're talking weeks, potentially months of communications programming just to get these two to talk to each other. And with the advancements in technology, I mean, we can have machines seamlessly integrated in days. 
So as technology gets better, that time to production uh, is going to continue to drop. Do you see a big uh, decrease in time to production relative to, you know, second, uh, you know, second um, uh, go rounds or, you know, iterations? Yeah, in a, in a second iteration, the time to market would be, would be a lot faster. Um, but most of the time that we're going through and we're developing and implementing the automation, um, we'll usually take the initial path of using manual labor. So we'll go into production with manual labor as the automation is being developed and implemented um, for the application. So those two things generally happen in parallel and um, we're able to get them into production with smaller volumes usually um, than what we're able to do once we automate. But at least that gets the flow of production parts started. And then we get the automation line um, developed, implemented, validated, and then turned over into production as quickly as possible. Absolutely. Well, that, that's really exciting. I mean, it sounds like you guys have done a really good job of helping prepare your prospective clients and, and partners to work with you. Is there anything, you know, that, um, that you found that makes it really easy or, or when they're getting started, you know, wh where should a company be at when they're uh, potentially proposing to implement automation? Sometimes it's the, the customer that has an idea for automation, but more times than not, it's us bringing the solution to them where we see where the automation fits in and the way we can pull cost out. And then it really just comes down to the question of um, how much of the time um, and utilization of that automation in terms of whether we make the investment in the automation equipment, or if it's a very customized specific um, uh, type of uh, process, whether that the customer makes the investment in the automation. There's times where the customer wants to make that because they want that equipment dedicated to them and only them. And um, for those situations, we have a few of those um, then, then the customer makes that, makes that, uh, investment, but. Hey, well, that's, um, that's really great. I mean, that really actually tees us up for our, uh, our next, uh, podcast where we'll be talking a little bit about determining the type of automation. So, um, I, I think that's a good segue into the next one. So with that, you know, Tanner, uh, Rick, thanks so much for, for joining me. This has been the latest episode of Navigating De Design and Manufacturing, a podcast powered by AirMed. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Navigating Design and Manufacturing with host Justin Starver. To listen to more episodes of this podcast, go to airmed-devices.com. That's airmed-devices.com. Be sure to share on LinkedIn and Twitter to help folks just like you learn more about the world of design and manufacturing. On behalf of the team at AirMed, Goddess Air, and host Justin Starbird, thank you for listening.